So we're uh, almost done with looking at the life of uh, Jacob, and uh, we'll finish that up uh, next week. And then the week after that, I think September 11th, we'll uh, begin a, a long series in the third chapter of John. Uh, a few folks have said, so you're going to preach on third John? And I'm like, no, that's a rumor. It's the third chapter of the Gospel of John, and that's... Uh, there's more than enough in, uh, there for us to uh, do the time remaining before we get to Advent. Um, so uh, the text today is Genesis 37. It's a long text, a uh, familiar story. Um, but before I read it, let me, uh, let me pray, and then we'll jump in. Father, we come to you today testifying to you that uh, we live lives often as if you are absent, uh, we uh, walk through this world uh, so unaware uh, that uh, you're in it, you're with us, you're guiding, directing, caring, uh, providing. I pray that you would help us with that today. And Lord, I pray today for those who are struggling and suffering today, uh, especially, uh, that you would uh, uh come to them in comfort and grace and certainty that even if in the midst of their suffering uh, there is not immediate relief, uh, the comfort of your presence and your care uh, would give rest uh, to our souls. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Genesis 37, text is in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. This is God's Word. And we should hear it uh, and respond to it as such this morning. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob, Joseph, uh, of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah's father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, I just want to stop right there and say, you know, uh, Joseph, stop while you're ahead. Uh, um, and a thing to note about this, too, in case you're curious, you know, uh, dreams are going to play a big part in Joseph's life, right? I mean, he's going to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. But we read about Pharaoh's dreams that God, you know, gave him those dreams. Uh, the text doesn't tell us that God gave Joseph these dreams. So one of the things... Does God speak through dreams? Sure. But more often than not, you speak through dreams. 
your dreams are a revelation of what's going on in you, right? So little little window into Joseph's character, right? 17, he's a, a boy in full, I guess. Then, and the fact that he's got to tell everybody about it, uh, this didn't work out. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bearing down, bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind, which would make sense since uh, as the younger brother, uh, he knows how things get turned upside down sometimes. So, Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, here I am. So he said to him, go now and see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. So he sent him to the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem, and a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they've gone away. For I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father which would have been an interesting end of the story, right? I, don't, uh, I guess there would have been some spankings or something, right, at that point, right? So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There's no water in it. And then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy's gone, and I, where shall I go? And then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. 
Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to shield my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Uh, so Scott, you can put my notes up there. So uh, here is 36 uh, verses in the Bible that we've just read, a whole story, and not a word of God. God doesn't speak. We read nothing in here about God doing anything, right? We just have this story of, uh, that seems to be repeating itself in this family that favoritism leads to brokenness. We have this story that uh, shows us just how dark and deep uh, our fathers in the faith, their sin really was, right? There's a lot of human pride in this story. I mean, any way you slice it, uh, Joseph thinks he's a spoiled boy, isn't he? He's quick to tattle on his brothers, quick to tell them and his dad that, you know, hey, I'm going to be in charge of you someday. There's hatred. I mean, there's so much hatred in this text. I mean, what a, what a remarkable thing it is to read that these boys, these men who sold their brother and made it look like they killed him, tried to comfort their father in his grief? That's a weird thing to think about. What, what, a, what an odd dynamic that must have been in the family, right? Oh, Dad, it's going to be okay, right? Plotting. I love plots. Jealousy. So much jealousy, so much envy. Um... You know, most of us uh, know that jealousy is a bad thing, but our jealousy is uh, justified. Uh, a lot of fear. I just wonder what Joseph was thinking. I mean, what a great picture it is. There they, they've thrown him in the pit, and these guys are having a picnic right there by it. I mean, was he yelling at them? Were they throwing their chicken bones down to him? I mean, what, what, what was going on there? And just hardness, right? Such human hardness. The, the hardness of the hearts of these men and just their coldness towards their brother and uh, the fact that they can look their dad in the eye and say, hey, tell us if this is your son's, right? So all of this is on full display. Dark story, uh, uh, really uh, kind of a grim uh, kind of picture. And as we read this, you know, what we, we might be tempted to think uh, is that God's not in this story. Just like we're tempted to think when we suffer, we struggle, when people sin against us, when people plot against us. And I think sometimes, you know, that sounds pretty, uh, you know, like a, I mean, I guess, what is it they say? You're not paranoid if people really are out to get you, right? But uh, uh, the fact is, I'm sure there are people that don't like you, that have plotted against you, have slandered you, or uh, colored kind of your uh, story, 
in a certain way to put you in a bad light. Maybe you did that to somebody this week just to kind of get one up in the office or in the family or that sort of thing. So ugly, so ugly. Uh, and, and the thing about it is, you know, if you grew up in Sunday school, you know the end of the story, you know how this thing uh, is going to work out uh, in the end. But the, the thing for the, in, in, in the midst of the story, I think, as we read about this darkness and everything, even though we may not be as dark as these guys, we may not be plotting murder, we, we may not be uh, 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 overwhelmed by jealousy, just a little bit of jealousy, or, you know, in our uh, uh, anger and our bitterness about things not working out the way we want them to, or that someone has played favorites, or whatever, the, the, the fact is we, we live day in and day out often with a sense that there is no God, that we're living out our story. And occasionally we invite God into our story um, when in fact what we know and what this narrative tells us in the end uh, is that God actually is telling a story and our story is caught up in his story. And that's a good thing. In fact, that's the best thing uh, for us, right? So as we look here, you know, these events are going to lead to a catastrophe for Joseph. One of the things that's a problem sometimes when we read the Bible is, you know, these things are compressed together and they you know, they move along, you know, it's going to take, you know, I mean, Joseph's got to travel a long way there from Canaan to Egypt. He's in Potiphar's house for a period of time. Then he's in prison for a long time. And so, so the thing that makes this catastrophe even uh, deeper is that uh, Joseph is going to be in the midst of trouble away from his family. Uh, just imagine, you know, here he is. Uh, he is uh, taken by his brothers, people that are in his family. And suddenly, he's in a place where they don't speak his language. Whatever God and whatever knowledge Joseph had of God is going to be largely absent. There's not going to be a lot of God-fearers in Egypt. And there he is. And poor Jacob. Poor Jacob. You know, part of his grief, part of his refusing to be comforted is that uh, he must be thinking this terrible thing has happened and my sins, you know, are following after me. I'm, I'm bound to live my life and it's end, my, uh, end my days as he goes to his grave in old age mourning his favorite. It's a dark story, isn't it? And um, uh, the Bible does not shy away from telling us the darkness of what human life is often like or the darkness of what the human heart is like or the darkness of what suffering and struggle and grief is like. It doesn't shy away from that. It gives us a full-on view of that. And, 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 the, and the fact of the matter is we shouldn't shy away from that. We shouldn't, uh, we, we, we shouldn't look away from it. Now, uh, we know that God redeems in the end, but there's a long time here where things are going to be very hard and very challenging. Next slide. 
So when we read this, we want Joseph to be okay, right? We want him to be fine. We, we want uh, all of this to, to work itself out. And, and you know, as, as an older guy now, as a, as a granddad, you know, I want, I want Jacob to be okay. You know, God bless him. You know, life, life has been really hard for him due to his own sin and to the sins of others. But you see, the, the thing that we have to see in this text is, is that God is not absent. And I want you to hear that today. Um, maybe this week uh, you were sinned against. Maybe this week you found out something terrible. Maybe this week you um, uh, got bad news. Maybe any number of those kinds of things have come your way. And it may have seemed to you that there's no God in this. And you might have even been tempted to think um, in some way uh, that uh, maybe it would be better if God's not in this struggle and this suffering. Because after all, if God is good and he loves me, how is it that this terrible thing has happened to me? Right? So what are, we, what are we to make of that, right? So, but what we know and what the story tells us is, is that God is in the midst of this uh, and he's at work, even down to the details. Like the, the nameless guy who's out there and sees this 17-year-old wandering around and he says, you know, comes up to him and says, son, can I help you? And he's like, yeah, I'm looking for my brothers. Do you know where they are? And he directs him to his struggle. Some commentators think that that person out there, the nameless guy who directs Joseph uh, to his brothers and then to the pit and then to Egypt might have even been an angel. I don't know. It didn't need to be an angel. Certainly, God's at work in this situation to lead Joseph to Egypt. And God's going to send Joseph to Egypt. He's going to shape his character. He's going to change him. And through Joseph, millions, literally millions of lives will be saved. Not the least of which, these criminals, his brothers, and their families. Right? What a story. Um, one I would rather not participate in. One I would rather not have to deal with. And, 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 and the fact is, what we often do in, in, in things like this is, is we want to be able to make sense of the world, right? Uh, we want to be able to say that somehow or other the world is a rational place and things, things work out uh, uh, according to our understanding of right and wrong and the way things are supposed to work. When in fact, uh, if that were the case, it would be a very terrifying place to live. The fact of the matter is that uh, the only place you will find rest for your soul, the only place you will find rest for your heart when hard, hard things come your way is that God's in it. That this Jesus who gave up his life for you is in it. He's in it with you and he is for you. And he's in it with you, and he's in it with you, even when 
circumstances come your way that you might have even contributed to. We, you know, we, we, it's, a, it's a mysterious thing. It's a hard thing to figure out why these things happen. But we're always scrapping for an answer, aren't we? We're always scrapping for some way that we can come up with, ah, you know, this makes sense to me. Ah, I see now what you were doing. And sometimes God in his goodness and his grace does take the terrible things that come to our way. And if we live long enough and God chooses to do so, then he may reveal to us, hey, this is what I was doing there. But not always. Not in this life. Job was the richest man who ever lived. Life was coming up roses for him. And then one day the devil looked at him and said, you know what, God? The only reason why Job likes you is because he's your favorite. You blessed him. You put a hedge around him. Nothing bad's ever happened to him. When bad things start happening to him, he'll tell you to go uh, leave him alone. He'll curse you to his face. Job loses everything, even his health. His children, it's terrible, terrible. And God comes at the end of the book of Job, speaks to Job in the whirlwind. And he says, hey, Job, you know, I had this bet going on with the devil and kudos to you, man, I won. No, no, <laughs> he doesn't say that, no. He comes to Job and says, I'm God. Where were you when I made the world? And Job's like, wow, you know, I thought I knew who you were and my mind's been blown because you're bigger, greater, uh, more kind of in some ways incomprehensible than I could have ever imagined. And so what we have to do in situations like this is it's a natural, normal thing for us to try to figure out how can I make sense of this? And there are some things, there are some, one of the problems with that is you can't ever make sense of sin. Sin is, is not a rational thing that you can reason through or understand. But not only that, not only that, the, the fact of the matter is that we should never uh, enter into a time of suffering. We should never have a time of suffering put upon us where we think that it's happening to us by accident or that it's happening to us with some sort of small purpose or we think that it's happening to us that God's not somehow involved or that somehow or other we had this coming to us, right? The fact of the matter is uh, the promise of God to us is that there's no place we can go, no suffering we can experience, that he is not there in the midst of that. Don't ever tell people, don't ever believe yourself that when something hard comes your way that God had nothing to do with it. Because if you and I live in a universe where things happen at random, if you and I live in a world where things happen outside of the loving control and care of a God who loves us and whose glory is the best thing ever for the whole universe, then then we're in real, real trouble, right? 
Now, there's a million things we could say about this. You know, we could we could all uh, there's there's a lot that we could we we could hash out about that. But I one of the things that's great about being a part of a uh, historic uh, tradition and uh, uh, the Christian faith is is that we have people who have lived lives and who are a lot smarter than we are who have written for us kind of summaries of what these kind of issues of life were all about. And one of those is the 13th chapter of the Belgic Confession that says this, we believe that this good God, after creating all things, did not abandon them to chance or fortune, but leads and governs them according to his will in such a way that nothing happens in this world without God's orderly arrangement. Now, that is a, re- a remarkable thing for us uh, to think about. That is a remarkable thing for us to hold on to, isn't it? Right? This bad thing happened to me, and God's not absent. Yet God is not the author of and cannot be charged with the sin that occurs. For God's power and goodness are so great and incomprehensible that God arranges and does his works very well and justly, even when the devils and the wicked act unjustly. We do not wish to inquire with undue curiosity. Now, we are lying a little bit there, aren't we? Because we actually do want to inquire with undue curiosity into what God does that surpasses human understanding and is beyond our ability to comprehend. But in all humility and reverence, we adore the just judgments of God, which are hidden from us, being content to be Christ's disciples so as to learn only what God shows us in the word without going beyond those limits. This doctrine gives us unspeakable comfort since it teaches us that nothing can happen to us by chance, but only by the arrangement of our gracious Heavenly Father who watches over us with fatherly care, sustaining all creatures under his lordship so that not one of the hairs on our heads, for they're all numbered, nor even a little bird can fall to the ground without the will of our Father. And this is a great word for us. In this thought, we rest. Restlessness is uh, often the state of the struggling and the suffering, isn't it? And the questioning. And so whatever else we may think and wherever else we may seek for rest, It is a false rest if it doesn't lead us to rest our hearts and our souls and the loving God who orders the affairs of our lives for our good and maybe even for the good of others and for his glory. And this thought we rest knowing that God holds in check the devils and all our enemies who cannot hurt us without divine permission and will. For that reason, I love this. I threw this in at the end because I just think... The, these guys, I don't know how many Epicureans were uh, uh, in their uh, churches, but they don't like what they're doing. For that reason, we reject the damnable error of the Epicureans who say that God does not get involved in anything and leaves everything to chance, right? We often act like God leaves things to chance. We often act like our, God, our lives are just kind of along by... Uh, you know, a a mathematical arrangement about the way things happen. But the fact of the matter is, what we rest in is the fact that whatever comes my way comes from the hand of someone who loves me. And that hand 
is marked by the scar of what the most unjust death that ever occurred so that I would find full atonement, so that God would be glorified in his mercy and his justice, and so that you and I could be made right with this God. But not only that, so that you and I could have a future and a hope where every single thing in your life, and they are many, that is unfair and sad and hard becomes untrue. Now, let's, let's be clear about this. You know, God, God's at work here in this situation. And these boys, for doing what they're doing, they're responsible. And Jacob is responsible for the favoritism that uh, he exercises. And Joseph is responsible for uh, his pride and his tattling and all of that sort of thing. But in the end, what we see in the big story of what's happening here is that God is ordering the affairs of what's happening out there in that pasture land for the good of the world. It's a remarkable thing for us to think. No one in the story at this point understands that God is going to save millions as a result of this sin. Next slide. So, He's going to say to them at the end of Genesis, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. God meant it for good. And if God means it for good, it's good. If God meant it for good, then whatever suffering or whatever difficulty we experience we can find rest for our souls knowing and, and trusting that his plan is a good plan. So three things that I want you to carry away from this today is, do you fear the plots of your enemies? Um, I, I'm, I'm sure uh, many of us live uh, in a, a news cycle where we are certain people are plotting against us all the time. And maybe they are. Their plots are not outside the care and the justice and the providence of your Father in heaven. Secondly, whenever we find ourselves in these kinds of situations, uh, we cry out to our Father for deliverance. We need God's help. We need him to deliver us. We need him to show himself to be the God uh, who is at work and who is in this plan. And somehow or other, mysteriously, God takes these kind of events in our lives and he reshapes us. He changes us even as we struggle with the, the suffering and the uncertainty and the, the, the questions that we have in the midst of that. And then lastly, we remember as we struggle with especially other people's sin against us, the one who was betrayed and denied for us, the one who was cast into the pit of death, the one who, uh, the only just person who's ever lived, who by the injustice, injustice that was perpetrated on him, we gain access to God, we gain access uh, to heaven, we gain access to a hope and a future and a life beyond what we could ever imagine. 
You see, that's the thing that we must, uh, if, 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 we, if we don't uh, find rest for our souls in the fact that there's a face uh, behind uh, the struggle and the suffering, the thing that comes at us and that shocks us sometimes, then we really would and we should despair that anything good could ever come out of any difficulty that we experience. But our rest today is, is that God loves us and in his mysterious care and concern for us, we can rest in the fact that he is a redeemer of his people and we have a future and we have a hope. Hear these words of institution. The disciples prepared the Passover and when it was evening, Jesus came with the twelve and they were reclining at the table and as they were eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's confess our sins by using this prayer of confession that's in the bulletin. Eternal Father... You are good beyond all thought, but I am wretched, miserable, blind. My lips are ready to confess, but my heart is slow to feel, and my ways reluctant to amend. I bring my soul to you. Break it, wound it, bend it, mold it. Grant that through the tears of repentance, I may see more clearly the brightness and glories of the saving cross. Amen. Brothers and sisters, hear these words of encouragement. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it, just as I do now, ministering in his name, and he gave it to his disciples. One of the things that uh, you note uh, in these words that Jesus tells us here (coughs) is this. He says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Our temptation sometimes is to think, uh, to focus our attention in our lives and think that the pattern of our life is simply a life of glory without understanding that the pattern of Jesus's life is the pattern of our life. And that is that glory comes after death, right, and suffering and struggle. We want for ourselves and for those we love that the way up to be up. (laughs) But the fact is, the gospel economy is, is that the way down is the way up. That our lives uh, must pass through the cross of suffering and death, to get to the glory of resurrection. 
<clears throat> and we have that promise because Jesus is really alive and he has overcome death on our behalf. If that's your hope today and you profess that to a body of believers somewhere, he welcomes you. He says, he sets this table for you as a precursor to that day where you and I will sit with him and all the brokenness and the sin and the bitterness and the questioning will be undone forever and ever. That's our hope. And so as we come to the table today and we eat and drink, we are proclaiming that Jesus died and that now he's in glory, that we will die and one day be seated with him in glory forever and ever. As the elders come down front to assist me, let me remind you uh, that the outer ring is wine, uh, the inner uh, rings are grape juice, underneath each cup is a gluten-free uh, wafer. If you are uh, unwilling to come and take uh, directly from the hands of one of our elders, you can come and uh, take the elements of the Lord's Supper off of the table there. Uh, if uh, you can't uh, come forward, uh, raise your hand and we'll see to it that you get served. Once everyone has been served, uh, we will eat the bread and drink the cup together.